that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good Trash Genre Cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Donor Cast, where people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will never, and I repeat, never discuss in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is the Book of Eli. It is one of the lost books of the Old Testament. Um, or is it in the Apocrypha? It is an Apocrypha book. It's also a pseudepigrapha book, and it is also. But it's not part of the Pentateuch. And it's not part of the Pentateuch nor the Torah. It is one of the. Um, Gnostic Gospels as well. I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> oh, Arthur and I are going to have a good time. <laughs> it's going to be fun times. We're we're conclu- was that was that, that was that was Bible talk, right? It was Bible yeah. talk. Okay, <laughs> just want to be clear. I was pretty sure we are proceeding with our um, A B hashtag. Excuse me, hashtag. The hashtag is very important. Hashtag A B W D. Always be watching Denzel Marathon with Book of Eli, starring the said Denzel Washington. Correct. And this this train is uh, creeping on into the station, guys. We it, got nary two more. Stops. Nary, but one more after this. I know. I know. Sad times to leave Denzel because, you know, he's so wonderful. But hey, you know what? People are listening right now and they might not know who you are. So to my left, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart. And Dustin, I want you to write down everything exactly as I say. Okay, good deal. Uh, fat chance. Moving on, uh, who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon. And plot twist Dalton is a mute. <laughs> the microphone allows him to expose his soul to the globe. Mm-hmm. That's true. I cannot talk unless it's into a microphone. My name is Dustin Sells. If you touch me with that hand, you're not getting it back. And I am glad to be here with you all discussing this film. Because I will cut your hand off. Yeah, no, I, I, you, you were looking right at me. It yeah. was very clear what you were doing. Well, and I, you were slashing at him with the microphone in yeah, your hand. just like wielding <laughs> like, it like, like a, a lightsaber. Like a damn knife. Like you're a five-year-old <laughs> playing Star Wars. So um, I, here's a peer back behind the curtain, dear listener. After every show, we build forts out of the cushions of the uh, sofa, and we have sword fights with uh, paper towel rolls. That is true. Every, yeah. every single We week. all reenact our favorite yeah. scenes from Book of Eli. For the last five years. It's, <laughs> this is a bigger <laughs> homecoming than training day for the last five years. This <laughs> is the closet to training day. <laughs> or maybe No, none not. of us give a shit about this movie. <laughs> hey, you know what happens on the show? What's no. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> Me neither. Moving on. No, indeed, I want to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. And thus, and therefore, there will be spoilers in our analyses. And this film has something of a plot twist. I don't know. I feel like it will wears all of its spoilers directly on its sleeve. Uh, yeah, kind of, sort of. But nonetheless, uh, we are going to avoid those spoilers for a moment in case you have not seen this film. And so what we'll do to give you that brief reprieve is this and thus. We will have a synopsis from the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon. From then, we will move on into our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which we will remain spoiler free during that time. From then, we will play a game which might involve a mild spoiler of this film or other films in its orbit. But then once we get down to business, and there's a little business time musical cue to let you know that we have our business socks on and are ready to get down and talk about and dirty about all of those things. And that's when the spoilers will happen because the spoilers are the dirtiness. But nonetheless, uh, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, let's hear that synopsis, please. A post-apocalyptic tale in which a lone man fights his way across America 
in order to protect a sacred book that holds the secrets to saving humankind. Or the last 30 miles of the desert in the west of the United States. But whatever. It's, uh, the, you, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not going to undo the nuclear apocalypse that happened. Yeah, so uh, anyway, so that's what we are talking about. And uh, this film is uh, one that receives somewhat middling reviews, and I am curious to hear what my dear co-hosts have to say in terms of that thumbs-up, thumbs-down review. So I'm going to go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, let's hear your thumbs-up, thumbs-down review of The Book of Eli. I mean, yeah, the, the, the middling response this film received upon its initial release is not unwarranted. It's a pretty drab film. Film. Um, and that's not just the color palette. But that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's going for that real... He, one of the biggest problems of the film is a, like, a, a tone a tone that does not match a visual style, but also a visual style that does not match a color palette. The camera is a lot flashier than the production design and color palette of this film would lead you to believe. Um, and then the, the tone is... A little bit more silly than the the super serious drabness, um, just because the, the the tone is a little over the top. The action's very highly choreographed in a way that a film with this color palette just doesn't feel like it should be. I guess it's a color palette that takes itself too damn seriously. Um, it's it's the early the mid to late aughts video game color palette is what it is. I mean it's it's. Honestly, it's the same color palette as the, the Fallout series, which this movie, whether intentionally or not, seems to owe a lot to. Um, it just doesn't work. It's it is a very video gamey movie, um, which is not always a bad thing. I, you know, uh, you hear a lot of you know people. I'm going to go ahead and say older critics use that to to bash a video or to bash a film is to call it video gamey. But this movie really is, and not in a good way. Like, Scott Pilgrim's a video gamey movie, but in a good way. This is like that in that there's boss fights almost, that the set pieces just kind of lead into... Uh, the moments between set pieces exist to get you to the other, the next set piece. The color palette is gross. It's very much like a, a MacGuffin-centric thing. It just doesn't work for me. Now, the things that do work... Uh, Gary Oldman is uh, in full-on crazy bad guy mode, uh, a la The Professional and Fifth Element. He's having a great time. Um, I think Mila Kunis is really fun. At, Mila Kunis is really fun as the um, the audience surrogate. I, I like her quite a bit. Uh, and Denzel's great, obviously. Denzel did all of his uh, own uh, stunt choreography or all of his fight choreography in this movie, um, and he's quite good at it. Um, his uh, performance is on the more serious spectrum of Denzel performances, uh, and by serious, I mean very grim. Not serious in the way that something like, you know, Hurricane or Malcolm X is serious, but serious in that he's he's not... He's one of the le- less silly Denzels, I guess. Um, which, you know, some of those are better than others. Um, he, he's got some jokes, though. Denzel often does. Um, I like little touches, like how, how worthwhile the wet naps from KFC are. Like, what good currency that and chapstick are. I really like those little touches. Um, and I think some of the camera work's kind of fun. I mean, it's a little over the top at times, just to the point of excessiveness. Uh, but there's some some cool zooming in through bullet holes in that final action sequence that's kind of cool, and moving in and out of cars, it's, that's kind of fun. But overall, it's just... And, you know, w- without getting spoilery, there's just choices in this film that make it very dramatically uninteresting. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, Arthur Gordon? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, it's a thumbs down for me. I, I, I agree a lot with what Dalton said. I 
the color palettes, eh, I mean, just take Freud is. I feel like it's living in a post-Sin City world is what we get. Mm. Um, I think that uh, it's just trying to be cool to be cool. Uh, I think that's a lot yeah, of it. Yeah, big time. Uh, I do like, I mean, Denzel's Denzel, so I can't say anything bad about him. Uh, Gary Oldman's fun, like you mentioned. I'm not a huge fan of Kunis here, but okay. I think it's more of a writing choice than a character thing. Oh, no, yeah. She's not a particularly interesting character. I yeah. think she's good with what she has, though. I th- she just has some really poorly written lines yeah. to deliver. But I also get this feeling like that character's supposed to be 12 to 15 years old, like the way some things play out. That's but a she's really good point. Also, you know, Miley Kunis is like 20-something at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, mid to late. Yeah. She's a grown woman. Yeah. yeah. And, but but the, you're right. You make a good point that it does seem like it might have been written a younger original. Like maybe like a Chloe Grace Moretz at the time or something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, So that's there's some weird things there. Uh, like you said, it's just it, it's flat. Like, you know, it's like you said, it's one thing just gets – I mean, we got this really neat little action sequence to really introduce us to uh, Denzel's fighting style. And then we get a lot of talking. And a lot of talking. Then there's another kind of cool fighting sequence and some more walking and talking. And that, that cool scene with Tom Waits. Yeah. The the engineer stuff's fun. Uh, I, I I am I was really frustrated with the product placement in this movie. Oh boy, the beats by Dre. Yeah. yeah that uh Bush Motorola Bush beer. Mm-hmm. beer. Yep. Yeah. Of all the beers. Yep. And I I can kind of forgive it with I Am Legend because it's taking place in the heart of New York. And so those things kind of fit there a little more than they do here. And so like that extended scene where he's got the beats in is really awkward. I, I just, I really kind of took me out of it a it's, couple times. The beats are more distracting than the, the old ass iPod. Yeah. Yeah. Because certain things, well, they look give it new. an uncertainty of time. Yeah, the the beats look brand new. But the iPod's worn. He's got that yeah. little battery charger, which is kind of fun. Like, I like those little things. Yeah. There are some little flourishes I like uh, uh, in the set design. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he first meets the – I think it's when he first meets the Raiders or when the Raiders get to the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the motorcycles has, like, a part of a speed limit sign as a windshield. Yeah. Like, there's some, like, little yeah. things like that that there's I really enjoy. There's some cool enjoy. production design admit at this point because yeah. it's been so worn down. Yeah. 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 So, you know, those types of things I like. Uh, and so there are some parts that work for me, but – for the most part, I, it's just blah, I feel like. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am a, a little up in the middling. Um, I'm definitely middling in my review. But the reason why I think I dislike it, I think, is because it has so much potential to be amazing. We've got a film starring Denzel Washington in which he is doing mean, mean, Bogwajan saber stuff in fight scenes where he is unstoppable, right? We've got that going. we got Mila Kunis, right? And I like her a lot in most of what she does. We've got Jennifer Beals. We've got Gary Oldman. We've got Tom Waits. We've got Michael Gambon. This movie should be awesome. Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson is in this. Yeah. This movie should be incredible. And it's... The Hughes Brothers. The Hughes Brothers? Yeah, they're good directors. So th- th- there's a lot of potential. And it's just, uh, as as the color palette um, belies, it is just kind of flat. And that that's really too bad. It, 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 as a sort of run-of-the-mill, just churn-em-out kind of action movie, it's it's fine. I think for what it is, it, it's okay. For sure. It, and, it, and, you know, it's, it's not something where I, I spent my two hours watching and going, oh, my goodness, I want to die. It wasn't like that. No. But it could have been so much more. It's got thematics working in it, but it's too heavy-handed and preachy about them. It's, it's got, you know, great possibilities with set design that are wasted. It, it, it's, it's, there's so much more that it could be that it just sort of falls short of. And so for a middling kind of action movie, this is my flavor. I'm all about this kind of 
stuff. I love just sort of, again, just a churn them out, uh, you know, B-production style kind of action film. That's that's totally fine by me, except for this movie should be better than that. And I think Denzel has better movies of that caliber, though. Yes. And I think that's a big part of the problem as well. Right. And and so it's it's really so much, uh, not so much for what it is. What it is is fine, probably. It's just that my expectations are way too high for a film like this. And when it does let you down, I'm like, oh, come on, you know. Also, uh, Roddy McDowell. Right. Oh yeah, yeah you know, or, uh, Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell which I knew you meant Malcolm, yeah, but yeah, the, the, yeah briefly, the, yeah, the the, the schoolboy, not the ape. That's yeah. the one I mean. <laughs> so it, it could be so amazing, and yet it's so very meh, and uh, that's just too bad. And so that's that's where I come from and come down on the film The Book of Eli. So there you go, dear listener. You know our biases, and they are um, critical, to say the very, very least. But we are having this conversation round this table, as we always do, not just so that we can speak to each other, but also that we may speak our thoughts, our brains, to you. And you can do that via social media. Dalton Stewart, tell them where they can go. You can go many places because the nuclear apocalypse has not happened yet, so the internet still exists. You can go and find us on Twitter. That's at good underscore trash. You can find us on uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash GTM. And, of course, you can always rate and review and subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast medium is. I'm pretty sure those are the, the major two. We're on both of those. And, right. you know, those are the ones that matter. Um, what you could also do is uh, go support um, Dustin in a, a very rare non-Good Trash Media appearance on uh, the Praise Down with Heath and Alex. Uh, Heath, my roommate, who's been featured on the show f- uh, for discussion over E.T. and Watchmen, um, is a-, a comedian in the Oklahoma City area who is also one of my dear friends and my roommate. And he hosts this podcast called The Praise Down with another Oklahoma co- City comedian by the name of Alex Sanchez, who is a dear friend as well, where they who are both spiritually curious but not currently aligned with any tradition, uh, talk to people about Christian music, specifically Christian rock music, uh, and you know try to get, and not in a tongue-in-cheek way, in a very sincere, earnest, like, let's engage with this kind of way. And Dustin was uh, the guest on the most recent episode. I was. I got to talk about the band P.O.D. from uh, the uh, early aughts. And uh, I got to, I got to, I got to. The new metal Christian band. Yeah, new metal Christian new, band. W- that's in you with and the new y- yeah, new, yeah, yeah, you got to, you got to know new metal. I feel so alive. Okay. And I can't deny it. And I can't deny that I unironically kind of love P.O.D. And not just when I work out. Yeah. Which is sort of what it's made that's for. That's adorable. Uh, um, I, I listened to a good portion of it. Uh, I made a brief appearance, but that that's stupid and silly. It's a really good episode uh, of that show, and it's a it's a fun show. If you're into what we do here on Good Trash, I think you'll have a good time with the praise down. It skews a little bit sillier. Most of their guests are comedians. Uh, but it's kind of engaging in some of the, the same paths that we are. Yeah, Heath and Alex are really, really solid hosts, and they, they put on a really good show, and they're able to channel that conversation in interesting places and keep the yucks and the laughs going uh, while things do get a little serious from time to time. They, 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 do, they do good work there at the Praise Down. I like that show. It's good stuff. So uh, take a listen there. But enough of this plugging stuff. I think it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> 
And as all regular listeners to the show know, that little piece of folk music indicates it is time to uh, have our bit of gameplay. This week's game is our favorite act, old man, excuse me, favorite old man action stars. That's right, favorite old man action stars, brought to you by the Book of Eli, starring Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, truly, his career is one of legend, and the fact that it has ended with old man action performances is pretty fucking cool. All right, thank you very much for that. So Arthur, I and go... still he makes time for things like fences. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, he's made, he did, does some good work, and he does production work on this film as well. So you know, he's oh yeah, he produces most of the movies yeah. he's in. So I mean, that's a thing that's going on. That's just sort of part of the Hollywood system. But Arthur Gordon, I go to you now. What is your what was your first selection for favorite old man action star? Uh, my first is a double decker of two men who have uh, reached into their fifties and are you, just turning you, in some what, action what? movies. I don't feel like they've really done this kind of daddy. Uh, you know, kind of like dad revenge, kind of on a mission type thing. Uh, maybe a little bit with uh, one of the movies, but it's Tom Cruise and Daniel Craig. Yeah, uh, they're definitely old man action stars. Yeah. So yeah, you're picking two like Dalton Stewart or something over there. Yeah, okay. Well, I, 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 someone's got to do it. Well, Ethan, Ethan Hunt and James Bond. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, they're they're both yeah. they're both guys that well, started playing. Action. I don't know who this Ethan Hunt you speak of is, uh, but uh, if you refer to him by his Christian name of Jack Reacher, oh, then we can no. talk. Oh no, <laughs> no, Hunt has got it over Reacher. <laughs> All the live long day. Don't no. We're not having this conversation. Uh, what? No, no. Uh, De Palma. De Palma. John Woo. That's not JJ Abrams. <laughs> That's a pretty good list. The movies weren't very good. No, the third one's the first. I don't love the first one either. I think the third one's the first. Like really, it's the re- first good. Yeah. I, the, I, I get, one's better than two, but it's still far get, below the rest. It just shows you how different action movies. Were I just remember uh, you know Emilio ago. Estevez getting off in the elevator early on, which is a real bummer because I I want to see what his character's doing. He's the, so much fun. He's like a mouse from the Matrix. The duck quick quacking. Yeah. Um, but I, no, I. I understand why you paired them together. Yeah, uh, and they've both they've both got so much charisma. You know, Daniel Craig kind of got you know uh, the A list star treatment a little later in life anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he hit the Bond role, uh, but Cruz has just been much like Denzel. He's just been able to evolve and stay so relevant throughout throughout the uh, you know his career. And he's, he's had still more, a box office draw. He's had like more he's dips still, than Denzel. Yeah. but yeah. I mean, you got a guy who's the Mission Impossible. You know, speaks for itself. This is a, much like Fast and the Furious is a franchise that gets better with age. Uh, it's so bizarre. Um, but these two guys, they're doing crazy stuff, hanging off the sides of planes. You know, doing whatever you know Daniel Craig does. Yeah, I'm um, sure. You know, sleeping with a lot of women, getting drinking a lot of alcohol, yeah, being James Bond. Yeah, getting very bored playing James Bond, <laughs> which is you know why we couldn't you know buy him as some journalist and girl with the dragon tattoo, but. Uh, I think they're both great. I think they are just, you know, phenomenal action leads. There's so much charisma and so much fun and just willing to physically go the extra mile, which I think is very important as an action star. All righty. Well, thank you for those picks. Uh, when I ask you to give one pick, Arthur Gordon, what is your... I do what I want. Okay. That's just as accurate. Yes, he does. <laughs> so what's your pick? Dalton Stewart. Well, I, I I've got to go with one of those guys that is up there with Denzel at the, the peak of of this category. It's Liam Neeson's. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm not just talking about those dumb Taken movies. I actually don't care for the first one's fine. I, I have no interest. The second one was unwatchable. The third one I never bothered with. I want to talk about nonstop run all night. I, the direct the French Canadian director he paired with for those. Oh, movies. What's the the gray one? What's the Oh, uh, walk among the tombstones. Tombstones. I think that's a different director. But these guys, there's this one director in particular he keeps working with. Um, and Nonstop and Run All Night are both like very B, mid tier, 
but like super entertaining and watchable and like fun plots. Uh, some of them, you know, he's got some duds in there to be sure, but he's also got, you know, the gray, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It kind of transcends the genre of old man action movie. Uh, but yeah, if we're going to talk about this kind of specific performance role genre, uh, triad that is the old man action movie, you got to talk about Liam Neeson. Fair enough. Thank you very much for that. Um, despite his politics, my first selection is one Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah, I love I love who, much like Tom Cruise, has been an action guy for so long that he went from not an old man action guy to an old man action guy. Yep. And it's so good when he does it. I, I'm thinking particularly of a moment uh, in uh, the the movie in the Line of Fire where he plays a Secret Service agent. Yep. Uh, with John Malkovich, we've talked about that we've movie got, a lot. Recently. We've got to do that movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got to. It's so far up our alley. Uh, but there's uh, there's a moment where he has something of a love scene with Rene Russo. So and uh, they so are gross. they're going down the hallway and they're they're like loaded up with guns guns and 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 handcuffs and batons and and pepper spray and tasers and all of these things are dropping to the floor they finally get into the bed and the phone rings and Renee Russo's got to go right and uh, so there's Clint left alone you know with blue balls and all that kind of stuff uh, waiting so weird to it, hear you say well, those words not, what are you a fourteen year old boy well you know I mean he was wanting to and he didn't get to that's a, that's that's the diagnosis. Anyway. Anyway, um, he was coitus interruptus, yeah, and uh, and so he just there, and he's and he's signed to himself. Ah, oh, I gotta put all that crap back on, <laughs> which is just so amazing. And he's been doing this there. I mean, Unforgiven, other movies. I mean, we could go on and on about. There, it's a long ass list of films in which he's doing this kind of stuff, and it's great. And I I like to see Clint Eastwood do this kind of stuff. I wish he would act and not talk. And so uh, that is um, what my first selection would be, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have a third selection for your second time around? Yes, I do. Uh, it is the phenomenal songwriter Chris Christopherson as oh, Whistler in the as Blade Whistler. films. Yes, um, yeah, dude, he's so awesome. You know, he's uh, willing to go out and kick some vampire butt. Uh, he's a great figure. Uh, he uh, adds some emotional weight to the stories, uh, and he's just you know, I don't think anybody ever expected that the, this outlaw country singer would be you know a pretty decent and serviceable actor and pretty good actor and uh, i think you know at his age at the time to do those blade movies and to go to the limits he did i think he did a great job and he adds a special uh element to those films and so i'm gonna say chris christopherson i like that selection a lot mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what's your next pick my next pick is one of the old it's i I, i'm gonna do an arthur but this one makes about as much you're not doing an arthur you're doing a you and that's true (laughs) it's the two oldest on me (laughs) it's the two oldest action stars that we have and that's uh christopher lee and ian mckellen r.i.p christopher uh christopher lee was a, a fucking action star when he was an octogenarian Right. He yeah. was in Star Wars and and uh, Lord of the Rings movies when he was in his eighties doing most of his own most of his own sword play. That's insane. Uh, and Ian McClellan um, obviously uh, has done all kinds of fun stuff in the X Men movies and also the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, also doing a lot of his own sword play and as you know as many stunts as a seventy year old should be allowed to do. It's insane. Uh, they're they're theatrically true, tra- and that's that's the really the best arc of old man action heroes. These guys that started off as serious actors like Denzel and Liam Neeson, and it doesn't get more serious than Christopher and Ian because they're both Shakespeareanly trained, which is bonkers to me. Yeah, excellent. Good pick there. I have to give, like, the old man of all old men action movie stars, though, a little love right now for my next pick. And i got to say Danny Glover. 
he's got the line, and it's you know it's important. And uh, yeah. I, I man, I tell you what, I'm happy every time I see Danny Glover on screen. And so that's oh, he's fantastic. Oh man, I love him. He is so good. He's so good. And I find myself in his position often in life. <laughs> so I, I, will, I will say no more regarding all of that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your next selection? Uh, I, I'm going to finish this off. Uh, and this is just kind of spurred on me today. Uh, but this is a guy who's kind of done some B-movie action films and sci-fi action films in the past few years. Uh, but I saw him today, and he did a great turn in Magnificent Seven, Antoine Fuqua's uh, remake of the Magnificent Seven, and that's Ethan Hawke, yeah, who is such a versatile actor, and I, I love him a lot. But he's got a great role there as uh, oh, I can't think of his name. It's Goodnight French uh, Cajun name. I can't think what it is. Um, Ru- Goodnight Ru- Rochebeau, I believe. Yeah, Rochebeau. Rochebeau. Yeah, we're bad with the uh... Rochambeau. Rochambeau. <laughs> Definitely Rochambeau. Uh, but he, he's he's such a great actor, and he adds a lot of uh, levity there. Uh, but even in stuff like Daybreakers, and I think it was Predestina- uh, Predestination. Yep. I believe is the yep. movie. Um, he's just got a commanding presence. I think he's uh, able to be uh, relatable. And uh, he's not someone you'd expect to be kind of an action star or playing these kind of action roles, but. He he brings a good everyman quality, I think, and I think uh, a lot of films could capitalize on that if they uh, wanted to use him. Absolutely. Very, very well selected, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your last selection? My last selection is somebody who has worked in a franchise, shares a franchise with Ethan Hawke, uh, and that's Frank Grillo. One oh, yeah. of my very oh, yeah. favorite old man action guys, uh, who was in The Grey with Liam Neeson, um, and uh, as he gets older, he more and more cements himself as one of the second-tier old man action guys, but... Uh, Carl Urban is, or not Carl Urban. I've been thinking about <laughs> Carl Urban, Frank Grillo. Kind of, I feel like go up for similar roles these days. Uh, Grillo just, he's such a capable like badass in real life. I mean, he he does train in martial arts in real life, um, but it's it's so weird to see him like getting this kind of late bump in his career because he's been working for a long time. Uh, he's got this show about MMA fighting that he's the star of on Cinemax, I think. But uh-huh. uh, uh, specifically, we're talking about his role as not the Punisher in uh, The Purge 2, which yeah. I believe is Anarchy. Nice. Um, yeah. It's so much fun. Uh, I, the, the, the first Purge movie is the only one I haven't seen. Uh, but that second and third one that he stars in are both really fun. And, uh, yeah, Frank Grill is great. Um, I, I wish he got more stuff. Uh, but instead, he's, you know, gets to be a second-tier bad guy in two Captain America movies. And that's that's fine, I guess. All right. Thank you very much for that. I have to give some international non-English-speaking love to, to Takashi Shimura, uh, star of Seven Samurai, which uh, Dalton very recently watched. He is the bald guy. Yep. Well, um, yeah, I know. And he's he's featured in several Kurosawa action flicks. So he's, he's in, uh, I want to say, uh, Throne of Blood. He's in Rashomon. Uh, I want to say he's in Ran, but I can't remember off the top of my head. He's in the original Godzilla movie. And uh, he's done a lot of work, and he's done a lot of action work. And he is an old man doing that old man thing in a very, very Japanese uh, kind of style. So there's one Saki Soak selection for you all uh, to conclude our gameplay. We'd love to hear your feedback uh, via those magical means of social media already mentioned uh, on your program so far. But I think now it's time to get down to business. Business. 
And we're back, and we're down to business. We're going to do that analysis thing with this film, and uh, there are so many things um, running through my mind right now. Um, and I don't know where to begin because I, 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 I know where the conversation is going to go mm-hmm. and where it's going to stay for a considerable length of time. So beyond religious symbology, is there any topic we want to tackle first? Well, one of the things I was really thinking about in this, and I didn't really have a you know a, a clear hypothesis or anything, but one of the things that came up to me was really this resurgence in that idea of the old man action hero, which we really I think see take off with. I would even I would say Taken. Uh, I know Man on Fire is earlier, but I don't really feel that's an old man action film so much. Uh, it's it feels like it's Denzel, a precursor, I think, but I don't feel like it's right there it's yet. It's proto old man action yeah, movie. Yeah, I'd say so. But I think it really the cycle kicks off with. Taken. Yeah, because it was such a huge hit. Yeah, and then we get stuff like the Expendables, you know, those guys coming back to replay their glory days. And we saw this kind of string of uh, revenge action films in the mm-hmm. in the mid-90s with Mel Gibson specifically with Payback and a couple of others. The Patriot. Uh, Rans- yeah. Ransom. Ransom's yep. the other one I was thinking of. Uh, and, and he kind of had that market cornered, I believe. But I, I, I really, and Dalton might be able and to speak that's to that's this. almost middle-aged action almost. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and that's really where Man on Fire, I think, lies. And I think the reason for this, right, okay. is because the action genre as we know it today really started to be kind of coalesce in the late 70s and early 80s. And again, you can go all the way back to um, The Seven Samurai, which we just talked about, which is kind of widely considered as the first modern action movie. The first thing to take all the, the action cinema work that had been you know, figured out from like 1900 yeah. to 1950 and it took it 1952 and kind of coalesced, you know, slow motion. And, you know, a lot of things that we, we look at as uh, tropes in the action genre, Dustin's puzzling, looking puzzledly at me. Okay. I, I thought you were going to dispute that. I was like, no, I feel like I'm not picking popcorn out of my teeth. Okay. You're disgusting. Um, so, and again, I, I really thought Dustin was about to try and dunk on me with that assertion. Uh, but again, you, you got Seven Samurai, you know, that the 50s uh, Western starting to kind of look m- a little bit more like what action movies would go on to look yeah. like. But again, I think what really establishes it is, you know, those those kind of down and dirty new Hollywood movies from like late 60s to early 70s. And then action movies started to pick up some of that graphic violence from those new Hollywood movies like yeah. Bonnie and Clyde, uh, you dirty know, some Harry. Dirty Harry. Uh, again, yeah, and I think Dirty Harry is where that kind of starts, right, yeah. is where action movies get a lot more violent. Yeah. And then again, we go through the, the 80s phase of, you know, uh, of uh, Stallone and Bruce Willis and all, you know, all these guys. Arnold, yeah. Arnold, of, of course. Uh, and then yeah. we get into the 90s with the, the martial arts guys, the, you know, dudes coming from martial arts and bringing them into action, basically trying to do uh, Bruce Lee, trying to find the next Bruce Lee. And that gets us to the aughts. And a lot of these guys who've been doing action movies, and that's really their bread and butter, start getting old. Now, they're not super old yet, and that's why I think the late 90s goes through this weird phase where it just doesn't know what action movies look like. And then you get the Wachowskis coming in and kind of reinventing action films for American audiences. You you get a lot of these more experimental action movies in the early 90s, and then you get the, the Bourne uh, uh, identity in the early 2000s, and it really kind of changes the game. And that's when the old man action dudes realize they can do action movies again. Um, and I think that's when producers realize they can take bankable real actors and put them in action movies because of the the editing in those uh, specifically Paul Greengrass's Born movies, but even the first one, those really in close, tight, uh, kind of aggressive, fast uh, fight scenes that have a lot of quick cuts, so you don't have to have a guy who's in good shape, but you can still shoot the actor. Yeah, 
You don't have to bring a stuntman in. You can get real uptight and real close and show Liam Neeson or Denzel busting a dude in the mouth. And, and the fights are pretty simple, but they look very fast and mean and aggressive. Yeah. And I think that's when, uh, you know, directors and action choreographers and producers and actors with clout start to realize, oh, just because I'm in my 50s doesn't mean I have to stop doing action movies. And I think that's really where it comes from. I think that that's kind of where the cycle comes from. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I was wondering if there's also maybe a more societal thing here with just the audience itself going to see I think these. it's the aging baby boomers, yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely. I think the baby boomers who helped keep the 80s action heroes alive for so long now that they're in their 50s and 60s and now 70s, I think, yeah, I think they're a big part of the market for these old man action movies because there are so many boomers and they are like the second biggest market after teens. Well, I think it's also just the full adoption of uh, sort of a postmodern sort of palette. You know, postmodernism is as old as the 70s. You see some integration of postmodernism in the new Hollywood and those filmmakers and whatnot. But by the time uh, we had Wachowskis, you know, showing Mm -hmm. up and uh, then postmodernism is, again, philosophically very much explained. uh, One of the key values of postmodernism is this idea of nostalgia. And so they're able to sort of play into those nostalgic themes of, oh, man, I love this guy and uh, use those as as something bankable and that's where again you know it's sort of a toothless version of postmodernism and of course postmodernism according uh, to Linda Hutchian is you know complicit critique right and so it is definitely complicit in the capitalist system but it is definitely also playing some of those games with the art form and what's really interesting about that is it takes uh, unforgiven which is not really an action movie strictly speaking um it's you know, a, a dramatic uh, film set in the West with action scenes. Uh, but you could hardly call it an action movie, I think would be unfair. But it's action movies, and specifically old man action movies, realizing they can be a little bit more nuanced if they start to adopt that, like, morality and violence thing from Unforgiven. And that's where you get things like this year's Logan, which is really quite good. But even uh, Man on Fire, which you already mentioned, Arthur, which has a lot of uh, kind of the same undercurrents of of morality of, of of a life lived doing violence and whether or not that was okay and can i go back to that you know denzel in man on fire really setting what would be the thematic through line for most of these old man action movies as you mentioned before really kind of coalesced into a real genre which i think is really interesting because it speaks to it's interesting to see denzel kind of set up the best version of these kind of movies with man on fire and then Liam Neeson set up where the middle bar is with Taken. And the middle bar made more money. So that was really kind of what set the genre on, on uh, its path. And again, I think as Dustin mentioned with postmodernism, as mainstream film and storytelling starts to get a little bit more uh, interesting from time to time. Again, you still get plenty of duds and plenty of very boring movies like Book of Eli. Um, <laughs> but you get more postmodern um reconfigurations of these old man action movies and i think book of eli is trying to go for something like that and i think it fails so badly that it kind of makes it one of the examples of the old man action genre that's honestly just a little bit silly um which i think is a really great place to segue into one of the sillier aspects of this film um which is denzel as the blind hero now that's not silly that's got a widespread tradition there have been plenty of very physically competent uh, fighters who were blind throughout history, um, both legendarily and, you know, actually, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? In real life? <laughs> no. Um, 
historic, there's actually like historical, historical precedents. Like right. you can prove that these these yeah. blind badasses exist. Sure, that's not weird. What's weird is the blind dude who fucking makes an impossible shot with a handgun at a dude that's like 200 yards away on the top of a building. That shot is impossible with somebody who has 20/20 vision. Or even more amazingly, shoots a bird out of the air with a bow and arrow. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's, blind. It's just downright silly. And and yeah. when the film finally confirms that he can fight so good because God is on his side, it's not that he's got, you know, the blind ninja skills of Daredevil. And again, the blind ninja, the blind warrior, the, uh, Zatoichi. the Zatoichi films, yeah. uh, the, their uh, American remake, uh, for all intents and purposes, Blind Fury with Rucker Hauer. And again, yeah, Zatoichi's been a character in Japanese fiction since, what, the 1940s? Uh, I don't know. Did he go back that far? I, it, it, it would be the late 40s if it goes back quite that far. Okay. It's a long time. There's yeah. more Zatoichi movies than James Bond movies. I mean, yeah. He's bigger than James and, Bond and as again, far as, the, like, longevity. And the character of the blind samurai has a tradition in, in yes. Japanese storytelling prior to that. And again, so does the West. The West have, you know, blind figures who whoop ass. I mean, it's not an uncommon trope. But they usually are kind of handicapped by their... Even Daredevil, who literally is a superhero, that character is frequently handicapped by his inability to see, uh, even if it's just for his outward appearance. Denzel is hiding he's blind for really no reason. It would actually make more sense for him to travel as a blind person in this world. Uh, Now, is the idea that he knows he's going to have to get into more fights if he uh, shows that he's blind? Might be more likely to be exploited, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. people are going to try to fight him more, like jack him more. Yeah, probably potentially. But again, it's just like it's such a silly twist to hold on to. And again, the the movie kind of is very open about it. I mean, he bumps into shit in the first scene. Yeah. So it's just such a weird choice to me. Like uh, the fact that God is basically shown to be real in this movie is kind of a a big step enough. Do we actually need the protagonist to also be fully blind? It's just. And again, I think it's it's important for representation to have badass you know characters who. Uh, have limited functionality of one of their you know senses or body parts it's just a br- it's a, almost a bridge too far because he's more competent than a fully sighted like olympic athlete yeah i i think that's one of the things for me is like you mentioned you know he does bump into things in the you know the first scene whatever but i feel like there's not enough given to us to yeah. allude that he's blind. You think it's, they hold it to the chest too much? I think so. I thought yeah. it was super obvious. And again, I, I have seen it before, obviously. Uh, but it's been years. Yeah. Especially when they go to such extremes with these things, you know, these magic, you know, m- miracle shots that he's making with yeah. his guns that we don't get the other side of that. It's all just he's doing these insane feats, which are made more insane when we realize that he's blind. That's a very good point. But there are, I mean, they're pretty insane feats for a yeah. normal guy. They're absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen a guy shoot a bird with a bow and arrow. I mean, yeah. it, it's possible, but, I mean, you can't do it without seeing him. Yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's impossible. And, and again, I, I read this interesting bit of trivia that they, they tried to hide those hints. Like, he never shoots first. He's always returning fire. Yeah. But come on. Nah. Not that. It's And, again, I know it's a movie. It's a movie where there's a old couple who are cannibals that have a sofa full of guns listening to disco yes i uh, yes (laughs) ring my bell but when a movie does not engage you fully suspending your disbelief for that kind of really wacky shit gets that much harder and you know me i love wacky stuff um i'm going to talk about another denzel movie later on this evening that's pretty wacky i like a wacky movie but if the movie itself is not engaging enough it really asks you a lot to suspend your disbelief for that particularly goofy shit 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it, it is a mess. And so I guess um, there's a great way to transition for this because we don't walk um, by sight. Rather, we walk by faith. So um, Yeah, I got it. It's time, it's time I got to, it the first time. It's time to go to church. Uh, okay. So this movie. Um, the Stay Ma- on the path. The MacGuffin is the Bible. Um, does anyone want to explain quickly for the dear listener uh, the, the big twist here with that? Yeah. So um, – the, the twist that it's the Bible, is it's not a twist. I mean, you find that yeah, out by the, early. by the end of the first act. Yeah. It's clear that it's a Bible. Yeah. Mila Kunis is making cross-shaped fingers and stuff. So, That's yeah. such a terribly written... Oh, I hate that scene. I hate it's, that whole it's, sequence. It's so bad. Uh, but th- there's like no Bibles left in existence. People got really mad at religion after the world ended, understandably. So they burnt most of the religious texts. But they specifically talk about the Bible being the thing that every people were hunting down Bibles to get rid of them. Uh, to make sure that we didn't blow each other up for religious reasons again. Um, but Denzel's got what is potentially the last Bible, and he gives it to Gary Oldman to save Mila Kunis, and Gary Oldman finds out it's in Braille and loses his absolute shit uh, and uh, tries to get Jennifer Beals, who is blind. And that's the one that I felt like it was a big tip-off when Denzel was talking to her about her experience as a blind person. Yeah. And again, I'd seen the movie before, yeah. but watching that scene, I was like... I don't know that it's not super obvious. Um, I, I couldn't decide. First watch, I didn't know. Okay. So, I mean... To d- Maybe I mean, it's not super yeah. obvious. Yeah. Maybe it's just, in hindsight, it's like, wow, they, they really do put a lot of things that are obvious in hindsight, but don't tip enough um, unless you know what's going on. But anyway, Gary Oldman finally gets his Bible, and it's absolutely useless to him because it's in Braille, and it turns out Eli himself was the Bible the whole time because he's memorized the whole thing. And he, in his dying weeks, uh, transcribes it to Malcolm McDowell. Because Probably it would, months. It would literally take weeks, if not months, if they were working eight hours a day. That audio book is a long time yeah. recording. Yeah. It, yeah. And again, you can write, you probably can't write by hand uh, nearly as fast as you can speak. Uh, unless Malcolm McDowell just really has no arthritis <laughs> in his hand whatsoever. Um, he does now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Definitely. It's absolutely insane. So that's the twist of the movie. Denzel has memorized the Bible the whole time. He didn't actually need the book. And God told Denzel where the book was, you know, take, read, sort of a St. Augustine kind of Literally told him where to go to get the book and then told him where to take it. Yeah, take it west and I will protect you the way. And that's why he's able to do what he does because he's under divine protection. Gary Oldman wants the book because he can use uh, religion to control uh, Dum-dums. Yeah, he can control people. He specifically says dum-dums. Yeah, people who are not smart enough to know what's going on. He can use it as a means of control, and uh, that's he's using it for a sort of a power kind of place. So, and to be fair, I I think there's a lot of validity to that. I mean, I, I think it's super. It's I, a cool idea. The I bad do. guy wants I, to abuse religion. Yeah. The good guy wants to preserve spirituality. Yeah. I think at the core, it's a great idea, but I think it just fits so like on the nose mm-hmm. and like way too much. Uh, they it's too much fluff, I guess. Maybe with that that concept. I feel, I feel like they should have gotten in, into those thematics way earlier, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, because they just, like, they barely touch on them. Yeah. Uh, and it's just window dressing. Almost. Shout out to the Da Vinci Code, though. Uh, in the, yeah, that's in the, hilarious. The, the book rummage. Yeah. Which is, yeah, garbage. So there's, like, a dig there. And it definitely has a very sort of conservative, sort of religious sort of bent uh, in terms of its ideology as a film. Here's the problem, though. I'm all for saying the bad guy wants to use religion to control people. And that's bad guy use of religion. I, I, I For like, sure, yeah. I like to see that sort of it's name. cool bad guy. As a person who's into things of faith, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm on that journey. Yeah. And, and as a practitioner of that sort of stuff, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's not good. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. But then I don't think I love Denzel's 
Eli character as the good guy who is massacring people, who is ignoring people who are being abused on who the road. Who is convinced that staying on the path means not protecting people. Which is fundamentally a violation of the parable of the Good Samaritan when you see the person in yeah. the hole and you say, nope, I got to stay on the path. I got a place to go. That's what the bad guys do in Jesus' parable. And he does realize that that was the wrong thing to do at the end of the movie, but the turn is a turn of a spoken turn only, really. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of just a passing thing at the, at the end of the film. And he's a very Old Testament character in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's, he's the vengeance of God, you know, yeah. coming down with the Bhagwajan saber. You know, this is not good. And so I, I'm very, very troubled by this. I'm also troubled by something else. And now I'm going to name names and get angry because I want to talk a little bit about Christian usage of this film that has happened yep. in McChurch uh, here in uh, the state, specifically here in Oklahoma. I'm going to name the pastor. His name is Craig Rochelle. He's the pastor of Life Church. He does a weekly summer or monthly annual i can't say words right now he does an annual summer series this is how mad i am he does an annual summer series uh god at the movies or something Mm -hmm. like that whatever the big tentpole blockbusters are he watches all of them and he uh does a sermon series preaching all through those things and so he does this the summer of 2010 or 2011 whatever year it was 2010 uh and book of eli is one of those sermons and the point that he makes is if you allow god to guide you in the scriptures he will guide you along your path and you can get your job done no matter what it is which is so not the point, and it does not deal with the fact of the absolute, you know, uh, antithetical way in which Denzel Washington functions as a character through most of the film. And beyond all of that, it is a falsehood to say that if you believe in God, it's all going to be hunky-dory. This is how people do stupid stuff, yeah. right? And I, I, I'm again, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, this is fine. And I think the actual message of the film is this: religious people probably ought to read their own books. If they read their own books, they might act appropriately and quite quit being such punks. Sorry, Craig, you missed it. So, well, and again, yeah, that is Denzel's character arc is realizing he was doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. He got so wrapped up in um in protecting a piece pieces of paper that he was not living by the lesson that he learned, which yeah. was uh, he, he kind of codifies it quite nicely. Do more for everybody else than you do for yourself. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, just how to be a good person. Right. Uh, and yeah, Denzel, just go tell everybody that. Yeah, and you I, got the point of the book. Yeah, preserving the text, I'm I'm fine with. I mean, I understand it's you know place and all that kind of stuff, and that's that's all good stuff. And I'm again as a practicing religious person, that's that's fine with me. But the the, the to use something like this and and to make it into something of a Sunday school story, mm-hmm. right? To use something like this without interrogating its incipient violence, its incipient sort of uh, uh, you know uh, continuation of the myth of redemptive violence. Mm-hmm. That this is what you've got to do. So in order to be that good person is that you've got to be informed with the truth, and then whatever violence you use in order to defend that truth has now somehow been stamped and endorsed by your vision and version of God is repugnant to me. And I am... I'm shaking. And that's probably probably part of why Eli dies, because Denzel, one of his big things is violent characters get the bullet. When he's a violent guy, he almost always dies or, comma, or everyone close to him dies. And that's that's his penance for violence. And I think that that's Denzel's thing. That's Denzel being a smart actor, being a, a powerful actor who gets to call his own shots and say, this is the kind of film I want to make. Yeah. That's really actively missing the point because the point is Eli, when Eli finally stops fighting and accepts that the bad guys have won, it's the third way, right? It's taking that bullet. It's taking that bullet and letting them think they got away with it and then 
fucking dunking on them from, you know, 2,000 miles or, you know, 1,500 miles away. We don't ever know where Gary Oldman's town is. Yeah. The Mojave Desert, presumably. Somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he dunks on them from Alcatraz Island uh, with the joke of the the Braille Bible. Like, it's really funny. It's actively, like, the funniest thing to do to the bad guy. Yeah. That's the point. The point was not chop them up into tiny pieces. It was let them think have what they think they want uh, and leave you on your way so you can finish your work. That's the point of the movie. Unfortunately, the film has barely any time for that because it's too busy flying through bullet holes in the Campbell's house. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a film that has interesting thematics. It's a film that understands violence but pays only lip service to that understanding. Right. And so, that, I mean, that's where it sort of fails for me thematically. And again, I just, I, I, I hate, the, I hate the idea that some, you know, amped up youth pastor is going to watch a movie like this as a movie night with his uh, youth group, right? And as, as some sort of, you know, way to be edgy because it's a rated R film that has the F word in it, and do this kind of stuff. And then people say, oh yeah, and that, w- w- you know, when it comes to defending the Bible, any violence is necessary. That is exactly the wrong kind of message to be spread. Yeah, the right message is when defending your faith, take a fucking bullet. Yeah. Not give one, you yeah. dummy. Yeah, no, I, I understand your frustration. And again, I, I think it comes from a pure place of, you know, what we talk about a lot on the show is violence. The, the best violence in, in cinema is the violence that's constructive, not destructive. Yeah. So, all right. Well, there we go. Do we have anything else we want to talk about with the Book of Eli? Yeah, it's about that good. So, well, let's go ahead and render that verdict. I mean, we had nice nice enough things to say about it. I yeah, think, right? we pulled out some good stuff to yeah, talk about. It was a good conversation. And that's the, that's the heart of the show. And it is, but it is one of the thinner films, especially, I think, the thinnest film in uh, Denzel's oeuvre that we've covered so far. So we I must... mean, we never did get to two guns. That's true. True. Um, so Fact. let's render a verdict, though, with the Book of Eli. So uh, we are now the Council of Nicaea, and we are going to canonize <laughs> the Book of Eli. And we're, okay. We're, we're, we're making a decision. Whether yeah, or not I know it. what the Council of Nicaea oh, okay. is. I'm doing a bit. <laughs> and I, come on. Okay. I'm from Oklahoma. I, I went to church. <laughs> I, know, I know the rules. I know the words. So uh, we get a vote yay or nay, and uh, we'll see who are Arians and who are Orthodox. So uh, without any further ado. Okay, you lost me there again. Nah, that doesn't matter. Uh, old, old inside baseball. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Show for trash, Elser instead. And on the third day, it went into the trash. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick three movies about wanderers uh, struggling with their faith, uh, which will challenge, uh, I think, the viewer to uh, struggle with their faith. Uh, the first one was already, already name dropped earlier tonight, and that is Joe Carnahan's The Gray. So good. Uh, which is a powerful film, I think. Uh, it will, you know, spirituality is a key element to that film. Wearing it on its sleeve. Yeah, and I think it'll challenge the viewer. I think it is a challenging film. I enjoy it quite a I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but I do uh, like to engage with it quite a bit. And I, I think there are some interesting messages to pull from that about spirituality and humanity and self and, you know, life itself. Um, the next one is uh, Ang Lee's Life of Pi. Uh, yes. Not just about faith, but also about storytelling and how storytelling uh, coincides with the human element and, and how that all plays a role in our lives and how we understand spirituality and faith. Uh, but finally, uh, this is just like a, 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 a powerful list of directors because this is Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity, uh, which is a life-affirming film as well. Throw children and men in there, too, especially yeah. for a much more life-affirming action movie. Yeah. And so that would be my... Uh, Instead, for the Book of Eli, I think these are three uh, weightier, meatier films that can really push a viewer and push an audience to challenge and grow themselves. I think you're absolutely right, Arthur. 
good picks. I like them all. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? A show for trash, else or instead? Yeah, I got to trash it. Uh, you know, hey, everybody's got a everybody's got a dud, and Denzel is no exception, unfortunately. Uh, what I'm going to recommend instead is um, a better Denzel action movie that I watched um, right alongside The Book of Eli, and that is his second pairing with Anton Fuqua, uh, The Equalizer, based on the TV show. Um, it is exactly as on the nose. Um, how on the nose is this movie? Uh, at one point, Denzel's reading Old Man in the Sea. And then at another point, when it becomes clear he's thinking about doing violence again, he reads Don Quixote. Um, yeah, it, it's about an old dude who used to do bad shit, like trying to decide if he should do bad shit again. Yeah. It's super on the nose. But Denzel is so alive in this film. Like, he is just alive behind the eyes. He's doing really interesting things. He's, he's putting on a happy face for the people he works with. But when he's alone, he's just kind of really crestfallen and sad. Um, now, full disclosure, I'm only about uh, just over halfway through the, the movie. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. It's very goofy. Um, it's got a lot of problematic gender shit in it. Um, a lot of uh, damsel in distress type stuff. Uh, I mean, it's it's about uh, Denzel busting up a human trafficking ring. Um, but with that serious stuff, then he's got things where he, he roughs up crooked cops who are, you know, running a protection racket. Um, it, very kind of whimsically almost. Um, so it's it's just a much more an alive movie it's just it's got a better more personality um it's goofier in ways that i think are really fun um and i think it knows it's goofy and that's what makes equalizer much stronger because book of eli doesn't see how silly it is um it doesn't see its self-seriousness as comical um now uh, a very uh, a very very self-serious film that um manages to do so without uh being comical the road um it's working with very much the same material yep. why do, how do you go on in a world where life has no meaning yeah how do you continue uh, much like the gray um and I, I think the road uh just is doing again the book of eli is clearly action the road um cormac mccarthy based on cormac mccarthy's novel starring um vigo mortensen and that that one kid uh who, who who was the kid in hollywood for a little bit i think cody mcphee i can't remember which one cody smith mcphee i think he i think he's the one in it's it. not Highmore. i think it's, it's not high it might be right. mcphee um but again, I, it's it's a very strong film. It's also incredibly bleak and dour, but it also doesn't have, you know, kung fu saber fights. Um, so it just works a lot. It just works on its face a lot better. It's easier to take it seriously. It's easy to take easier to take its messages about violence more seriously when the only violence the main character considers doing is killing his son and himself to spare them from being eaten by cannibals. Fair enough. I like that a lot. So those are two much, much better options, I think, than uh, than the Book of Eli. Alrighty. Okay. So I am also going to say trash, and I am being a hard trash because it is too little, too late. It misses the point, and even when it gets the point, it gets the point in such a way that it. It, it, it doesn't count. It's just it's just it not. pays lip service to the point. Yeah. Now I do love the action and all that kind of stuff. It's good, so. good, good fight choreography. So I'm gonna take you to church and cinema as well. I'm gonna begin with a Woody Allen film. Oh, uh, do you have to? I do because I think Crimes and Misdemeanors is a great meditation on the existence of God and a moral universe. And uh, so I mean, uh, yeah, I mean Woody Allen's got his problems. If you can't, you know, you don't want to. I mean, I get that, and that's fine. Uh, and if you can, you're not better than anybody or anything else. That's that's fine too. 
But Crimes and Misdemeanors is a great exercise in uh, those questions uh, about that. And then I want to take it to some other places. I, want to, I think you ought to see Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker, uh, which is a great film um, that wrestles, again, with, with sort of faith questions inside the Soviet Union. So it's coded in a way that's very, very interesting. It's just a neat film uh, to watch. This is a long one, so buckle up, Buttercup. It's going to take you a while to get he through it. He said Tarkovsky. I assumed it was four yeah, hours long. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's a minute. Um, also, a Robert Brasson film, uh, Oh Hazard Balthazar, which I've talked about oh, before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The donkey movie. Yeah, The Sainthood of a Donkey. It is a great little movie. And uh, just talking about long-suffering and doing the right thing and Brasson's Catholicism uh, really comes to, the ba- comes to the fore in that film. Lastly, I'm going to recommend Babette's Feast, which is probably my favorite religious film, uh, which is about eating because the fundamental act of faith is sharing your table with somebody else and the way in which you restore community, which is the place in which the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, is amongst us. That's Book of Acts and also the Book of Shlavoj Zizek, by the way, an atheist. Noise. Uh, that, that's where that happens. It's a great film. It is foreign language, but it is worth your time, uh, dear listener. So uh, there's a little syllabus of... Uh, there's many paths up the mountain. Yeah, there, there, yeah and it's good times. Uh, go ahead and watch The Holy Mountain while you're at it. I don't know why. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> because why not? Because Cause it fucking rips. <laughs> that movie is great. Oh, God. I, I don't remember anything about our conversation about that episode other than us just being like, well, I don't know what this is, but it's great. Yeah. Oh, man. What a film. Yeah. Good times will be had by all with that. So there you go, dear listener. There's your syllabus. It's just gotten a little bit longer um, despite the Book of Eli. Um, and so we are now coming in as the train is coming in the station with the last selection of our hashtag ABWD. Always be watching Denzel Marathon with what film, Arthur Gordon? Well, it's ironic that we put these two next. I mean unintentionally put these two next to each other because we're doing another film about faith and spirituality and there's a twist and i can't believe we finally get to talk about the preacher's wife i have been wanting <laughs> to do this for so long incorrect oh wait <laughs> We're not doing the preacher's wife. Here's the deal: the joke is so good that I almost want to do the preacher's wife. But we've got to, we've got to share. We, we've got we've got to, we've well, got to, we've got a segue. We've, we've got yeah. We've got to, we've got to unburden ourselves. I say unburden. We have to take off the comfort that is Denzel and put on the nightmare that is Shocktober. Correct. And there's only one way to get across that because Denzel's only done one horror movie. That is correct. And next week we wrap up hashtag ABWD. With the 1998, 97, I believe, uh, noir suspense horror film, Fallen. It's exciting times. And the less that I feel like this is just a really forgotten movie. I don't think anybody remembers this movie. Except Dustin, who mentions it and, every chance he Dustin gets. And Dustin and me, because I watched it as... I haven't seen it since I was probably seven years old. Yeah. I just, like, it was on cable, and I was just kind it of is, enamored with it. It is a Saturday afternoon film. It's the perfect Saturday afternoon film. And so I think the less said about it, the better, because it is buck wild. It, the premise alone is insane. Don't read the premise, listener. Just go in. Have a great time. I think this this will be, along with Crimson Tide and He Got Game, your favorite Denzel discovery. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair prediction. Yeah, I, I think it's right up there with those films in terms of... Uh, I'm, that's how excited I am to rewatch Fallen. Because, again, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. It's better than Book of Eli. <laughs> More interesting, at least. Well, it doesn't take much. But I'll tell you what. No matter how bad the movie is, the conversation makes it worthwhile. That's what we do here at the Good Trash Genre Cast. We keep talking, you keep watching, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast, presented by Good Trash Media. 
For more Good Trash, go to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro is a supercut edited by me with help from Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL. Uh, and our outro is Greystone Chapel by the wonderful Johnny Cash. There's a Greystone Chapel here at Folsom. A house of worship in this den of sin. You wouldn't think that God had a place here at Folsom. But he saved the soul of many lost men. Now there's Greystone Chapel here at Folsom. Stands a hundred years old made of granite rock. Takes a ring of keys to move here at Folsom. But the door to the house of God is never locked. Inside the walls of prison, my body may be, but the Lord has set my soul free. Inside the walls of prison, my body may be, but the Lord has set my soul free.